Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we give a hand clap of praise to our risen Savior this morning? Can we do that? Thank you, Britain and worship team for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as we are uh, in this series on the book of Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun, and we come to what is probably the most um, uh, most well-known, the most frequently quoted uh, passage of Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It is a wonderful uh, uh, passage to help the reader, to help the hearer reflect on the greatness of God, to reflect on the greatness of God through a, through a specific lens, the lens of time. One of the most fascinating and frustrating words in, in all of humanity is this four-letter word, time, T. I-M-E. You think about how time is woven into uh, the entire fabric of our society by the words and the phrases that we use. I wrote a couple of them down. Here are a few phrases that we use regarding time. What time is it? What time does the movie start? How much time will it take? I don't have time for that. In sports, you may hear something like this, time out. Or how about this one in sports? We didn't lose the game, we just ran out of time. In school, you may hear something like this. Take out a sheet of paper, it's time for a test. Anybody still get nervous when you hear those words? I do. In marriages or in relationships, you hear something like this. It's time we had a long talk. At First Baptist Church Brunswick, every Sunday morning, you may ask this question. Will Pastor Chris finish on time? Everybody knows the answer to that one. No. We are time-sensitive creatures, aren't we? We are bound by time. Benjamin Franklin, one of the great founders and early fathers and leaders of our country, said this about time. It's the stuff of which life is made of. I like that. It's the stuff. It's the stuff of which life is made. And all of that stuff that takes place in our time takes place within 86,400 seconds every day. We're all given the same amount of time every day, aren't we? No matter your age, no matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have, Everybody is given the same exact amount of time, 86,400 seconds. What does the writer of Ecclesiastes say about time? If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, um, we have learned several things about the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes, he's on a search. He's on a search for the meaning of life. He's asking difficult questions. He's he's wrestling with life. And he's wrestling with life from the viewpoint of under the sun. That's one of the major phrases in this book, under the sun. If you understand that phrase, you understand this book. But if you miss that phrase, you miss the 
you missed this book, but under the sun is, is life without God. And, and Solomon uh, is trying to find meaning in life. And in chapter 1, um, he comes to the conclusion that everything is meaningless. It's, it's futile. It's vanity. All is vanity. Everything under the sun, it is, it is, it is vanity of all vanities. And so he begins this journey that many people are on, many people, maybe even this room you're on, many people you're watching by uh, a website or, or Facebook, you're, you're on this journey, you're looking for a, a meaning, and Solomon has already been on that journey, and he's discovered nothing is, everything is meaningless under the sun, so in chapter two, he begins a search. He begins with intellectualism. Maybe if I just know things, if I study, if I know, if I, if I know, if I gain all of this, maybe I'll find meaning, and he says no. Chapter 2, he continues on. He looks for pleasure. He looks for uh, satisfaction in, in hedonism, which is pleasure is the highest goal in a life. And he looks to find meaning in, in women and wine and work and, and, and to take the line from the Rolling Stones. He can't find no satisfaction. Or you can take a line from the group U2, one of my favorite rock bands of all time. Solomon still hasn't found what he's looking for. That's chapter 2. So he comes to chapter 3. He comes to chapter 3, and remember, he's sitting before the leaders of Israel. Israel is in this midst of this, this great, uh, uh, great economy. The people are not having to depend upon God to provide the food because the economy is booming and Solomon sets down, he's old, he's in the end of his days, and he sets these people around, and he says to Israel, and he says to you and I today, he says, listen, there is a time for everything. And in that, he means the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so in this chapter, Solomon is going to give us some platforms to stand upon in the midst of time. Well, let's look in verses 1 through 10, and I want you to write this down because here's the first platform that Solomon gives us that we can stand upon in the midst of time. And write this down, it's on the screen. We must accept the reality that God is in control of time. Say, God is in control. God is in control. If you and I are to make the most of our time, we need to realize that we are not large and in charge. Amen? We have to accept the reality that God is in control of time. Look at verse number one and follow along in your copy of God's word, and it reads, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Now, when you read this text, you need to understand that Solomon actually uses two different Hebrew words for the word time. In the first use of the word time, he uses a Hebrew word that means the seasons, he means seasons, that, that God has appointed seasons. He's appointed uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter. One of the great things I love about the Golden Isles is this, is that winter lasts for only one day. Can I get an amen on that one? Praise God. God, you have wonderfully appointed that. And so he uses the word seasons, and so that their seasons come and go. Seasons come, and some seasons are great, some seasons are bad. Now, if you're cluing in, you know that this sounds a lot like chapter one. The sun rises and the sun, what? Sets. The winds blow, the wind, and the rains come and go. It is cyclical. It's on 
time. Seasons are always on time. But the second Hebrew word that he uses for time, it literally means events. Things that happen in life. So very quickly, the wisest man in all the earth, Solomon, who's on the search for meaning in life, stops and reflects on time. And he says to this group of men around him, he says, guys, I just want you to know, God's appointed a time for everything. For everything. So what Solomon means, that God does not do anything by accident. You need to hear that. God does not do anything by accident. Does that raise a lot of questions? Does that not raise questions in our life and in our time? That raises a plethora of questions. If God doesn't do anything by accident, then why all the evil? How does evil and and good exist together? The existence of evil is one of the greatest philosophical questions of all time. And Solomon wrestles with that. And Solomon says that however we try to resolve the fact that evil exists, but that God is good, we cannot do it by saying that God is not in control of time. If we say that evil happens outside of God's control, then guess what rules the world? Evil. For the bad things that happen in life, if bad things overcome God's will, then that means that God is not in control. That means that that evil is superior to good and that God has no control over life. I don't know about you, but I can't live a life like that. Tommy Nelson, one of my favorite preachers, and um, today he's a pastor of Denton Bible Church, he said this about God. He said, God is not always pleased but he's never perplexed. Isn't that good? God isn't always pleased, but he's never perplexed. God never says, oh, I didn't see that one coming. God did not say about the riot on the U.S. Capitol, God did not say, oops, I turned my back on that one. He didn't say that. Was God pleased with that? No. But he wasn't perplexed. Why? Because God is in control of time. No evil skirts God's plan. No piece of the puzzle is left over. Anybody like to put puzzles together? How frustrating is it when you have that one piece and you can't find it? Isn't that frustrating? One of the things I like to do at my household my daughters love to play, put puzzles together, and they'll put it out on the table. One of the things I like to do when they're not watching, and I'll just grab one piece of the puzzle. <laughs> just walk around. Oh, you're missing a piece. 
missing a piece, and they get to the last one, and it's beautiful. They're all on the ground looking for that one piece, looking under the couch, and I'll just, without them looking, you know, pick it up, and like, oh, look, I found it. Boom, done! It's beautiful. And then my wife and I have a long talk. She says, it's time to have a talk. Solomon says, either God is sovereign or he's not. Amen? He's either control or he is not. And to prove that he is in control, that God is sovereign over time, and that we need to accept that reality, that, that we are not in control of time, he goes into this great poem from verses 2 through 8, it's, it's the most famous poem in all of Scripture. You know it. You've heard about it. The birds sing a song about it. You know this song. And so verses 2 through 8, Solomon is going to give us 28 times of life, 14 positive and 14 negative. And he's going to give us a cross-section of life. And he's going to say, this is life. Look at verse number two. A time to give birth and a time to die. He begins this poem to remind you that, listen, you, have, you are not in control. Let me show you why. Because he, there's a time to give birth and a time to die. Meaning this, you have no control over when you are going to be born. Amen? In the womb, you did not tell your mom, hey, it's time. Now, your mom might have been saying, get out of my belly, you know. But God is saying, I'm in control of when you are going to be born. And then he says, I'm also in control when it's time to die. Meaning this, God has already prescribed a time for your birth and a time for your death. And you and I can't do anything about it. You can't do it. God is in control over all of those things. He continues on in verse 2, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. Uh, planted. You know, there's a time where you put down roots, and there's a, there's a time when you've been uprooted. And I don't know if you've ever known this or not, but if you experience this, but, but God often uproots us when we are not ready to be uprooted. Can I get an amen on that one? I like it over here, God. Well, I want you over here. God says, I'm, I'm in control. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time uh, to dance. Uh, I can tell you that, that my life as a pastor, it is, it is really uh, living a life on a roller coaster because every day, every week, I deal with different things that, that the sheep uh, uh, go through, whether it's the celebrating of the birth of a baby to the very next where we are mourning the loss of a loved one. My days and the staff's days are filled with the good, the bad, the negative, the positive, the pain and the pleasure, the comfort and the inconvenience. But through this all, Solomon is saying, God is telling us, I'm in control of this. That's just life. I mean, you experience the same roller coasters, amen? And that's just life. Verse 5, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. I will tell you this, the commentaries have no idea what that means. And they look at verse, the end of verse 5, says a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. I have called that the COVID verse. Amen? Don't you embrace. Don't do it. That's Ecclesiastes, verse number 6. 
a time to search and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Do you know people who just can't throw things away? Are you living with one of them? Don't point. You know anybody that has a garage filled with other things but the car because we can't throw things away? Yeah. Solomon, God's saying through Solomon, listen, there's a time to keep. There's also a time to throw away. Verse 7, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. What that means is this, in the Old Testament, saints would tear their clothes as a symbol of deep grief. When your, when your heart was ripped, you ripped your clothes, meaning there is a time to be broken. And I will tell you this, today is a time to be broken for our country. We need to rip our clothes, not literally, don't do it, please, figuratively, because our hearts are broken. Are you with me? Are you with me this morning? We need to be broken of what's being going on, what's taking place. A time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. Usually we get those two mixed up, right? The psalmist says there's a time for both, and a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And Solomon says, this is life. This is what God has given us here on this earth. It's filled with ups, it's filled with downs, and it's filled with everything in between. And one thing that we have to understand when we read this text, uh, specifically verses 2 through 8, is this. Solomon, uh, this, is, this is descriptive of life. This is not prescriptive. Does that make sense? He's just describing what life is all about. He's saying we've all experienced this. If you haven't experienced, you're going to experience, and you can't run away from this life. You can't do it because that's what God has given us under this sun. Now, question for those of you who have been following along in all of these sermons so far. What do you think Solomon's going to say about that? Well, look at verse 9 and verse 10 because he's very clear. He says, what profit is there? Sounds like verse, uh, chapter 1, doesn't it? What profit is there to the man who labors, who works under the sun? He says, what profit is there to the worker, in verse 9, from that in which he toils? Verse 10, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men which to occupy themselves. Meaning, there is no advantage. It's just life. It's just reality. And he's telling us that one of the ways that we need to uh, live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ is this. We have to come to the realization that God is in control in time. He's the one who controls it. You and I do not control it. I don't know about you. I like to be in control. Anybody with me this morning? Some of you are lying out your teeth. And when we control things, I know when I control things, that's when everything goes to pot. God's in control of time. I remember several years ago, I'm going to share a couple of personal stories this morning, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to put this on me, I'm just trying to think of an illustration for you, so please uh, understand that. Several years ago when I was the assistant basketball coach at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, 
Um, I was coaching the girls' team. Uh, our team was ranked number four in the nation. We had the number one, nation, uh, number one team in the nation come into our house to play. The head coach and I, we spent that entire week game preparing, practice, and we were getting the, the uh, campus excited. We wanted everybody to come out to the game to watch us play the number one team in the nation. Uh, that night of the game, we destroyed that team. It was awesome. We celebrated, and, and after the game, um, after all the girls had come out of the locker room, one of my jobs was I had to go into the locker room, collect all the jerseys, and put them in the wash, and get everything ready for the next day. And I just remember sitting in the locker room. And I remember sitting on the steps. Our steps went down. The locker room went down. So I remember sitting on the first step, and the men's team was playing, and you could hear all the crowd yelling and screaming. But I remember, I remember in a moment of silence, the Lord spoke. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Chris, would you be any different if you had lost that game? Would you be any different if you had lost? Man, I was riding high. We just won the game. Beat the number one team in the nation. This is great. And he says, would you, would you be any different if you had lost that game? Would your life have changed? I just remember thinking, I'm 21, 22 years old, and I just remember thinking to myself, and I said, I said, Lord, no, my life would not be different if I had lost that game. My life would not change. It was in that moment that I had a, a Solomon moment, where I came to a defining moment in my life when I finally and decisively said, I want to live for, for the rewards that are, are beyond this earth. Are you with me? That, it's, that this, this isn't it. Because the wins and the losses, yes, I like to win, I'm competitive, but, but the reality is the wins and the losses, it profits nothing. It profits nothing. Because the winner and the loser are still going to die. They're still going to end up six feet under the ground. There's no profits. That's when I had to realize that God's in control. I'm not. Let's continue reading. Anybody with me this morning? The second platform that Solomon gives us in this, as he's looking through the lens of time and how we can live get the most of our time is this. The second platform that he gives us a stand on is this, that we need to affirm our faith in God because he is wise. He is wise. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says this. He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. Uh, The Hebrew uh, for the word appropriate literally means beautiful. Some translations would say he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now some of you may remember uh, that Ray Stevens wrote a song based on this verse several years ago. How many of you remember that song? Two of you. Well you may remember this one. Ray Stevens also wrote everybody's favorite song. The day the squirrel went berserk. In the first self Righteous church, back row, thank you. It's the first time I've ever heard the back row speak. That's good, yes. The first self-righteous church in that sleepy little town of... 
God is so good. But Solomon says here that he, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He's just given this beautiful poem about time, about life, the ups and the downs. And he comes to verse 11, he says, listen, put your faith in God. Why? Because he's wise. Because he makes everything beautiful in its time. Now I want you to look at that verse because you can't take just half of that verse and apply it. You just can't say, he has made everything beautiful, period. You can't say that because not everything is beautiful, amen? Cancer is not beautiful. Losing a child is not beautiful. It's not appropriate, There's a couple of things that happened this week or in the past couple of weeks that our new president of the United States has done through his executive orders to publicly fund abortions. That's not beautiful. That's not appropriate. And if you're a Democrat here this morning, praise God, I'm glad you're here. I'm not, I'm not singling him out. That would be wrong for any president. It's not beautiful or appropriate for any president, past, present, or future, to put your hand on the Bible, swear by the Bible, and do the exact opposite of the Bible. That's not appropriate. Because it's wrong. And so I'm so thankful that Solomon does not put a period after appropriate. It's those next three words. In its time. In its time. God says the good and the bad have a place in your life. The piano, which one of my biggest regrets in life was quitting the piano. I, I played it and, and I, I quit and I regret that. One of the regrets I have in my life, but the piano cannot play great music with only the white keys. It involves the black keys. I remember, again, another story. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I was the starting quarterback of the freshman team. For the Lomisa Golden Tornadoes, about the second game of the year, I, I, I got a concussion. And my backup comes in to play the game. And he played the rest of the season. I never got my job back. The next season, time out. Y'all just close your ears. Cole, if you're watching, I just want you to know I forgive you. All right. <laughs> Wasn't his fault. The next year, our sophomore year, that backup, Cole, was a starting quarterback on varsity. Hmm. 
Well, as a freshman, that hurt really bad, or as a sophomore. And I remember talking to one of or my mentor at the time, his name was Gary Day, and I told him what was going on. And then Gary, who's a pastor, he told me the story. He told me the story of a guy in the Bible who had a promise from God that he was going to be ruler over all things. But before he became a ruler, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers, and he was sold into slavery. He's thrown into jail, and he's forgotten. Do you remember this story? And he tells me the story, and he tells me the story of Joseph, and through all of Joseph's disappointments, he kept doing the right thing. He kept believing in God. He kept affirming his faith in God because God is wise. Later, you know the story when Joseph was finally taken out of prison, and he is elevated to second in command, and his family comes down to see him, and he finally comes face to face with his brothers who sold him into slavery. And they lied to their dad saying, Joseph is dead. And he sees them face to face and he gives them food to eat. And Joseph looks at them and says, you know, what you considered and wanted to do for evil, God considered it good so that I could be in this position to save you and this whole family. I remember my mentor said this. He said, Chris, there's going to be a lot of times in your life when God does things where it doesn't make sense. Are you with me? It doesn't make sense. And God doesn't have to give you an answer. Amen? Now, I prefer that he gives me an answer. But I know there's a great amount of my time, and I know there's a great amount of your time, where God doesn't give you an answer. He just simply says, Trust me. Trust me because, because I have the ability, because I'm in control of all time, and because I'm wise, I can cause all things to work together for good to those who love me and are called according to my glory. Uh, the, 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 the prophet Isaiah says this, that, that God can give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He can give you an oil of joy instead of mourning. And he can give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so Solomon says, here's life. Life is hard, but God's in control. Put your faith in him because God is wise. Here's the third platform so that we can finish on time. One of you got that one, thank you. Because I have a clock right here. I'm looking at a clock and it just went zero, so I went beyond my time. Write this down. Here's the third, th third platform. Apply trust in God when you don't understand. This is piggybacking on what we just said. Solomon says, one, accept the reality God is in control. Two, affirm your faith because God is wise. He does all things that for, are for your good. The good, bad, and the ugly. And three, trust him when you don't understand. Look at the second part of verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in your heart. What does that mean? It means that humanity has the unique ability to ask the question, why? You and I as humans, the greatest creation, the greatest creation 
has the unique ability in all of creation to ask why and to look into the future. We have that ability. You know, I, I love dogs. I'm okay with cats. But their only concern is their next meal. They're not thinking about early retirement, are they? We do. We do. We look to the future. We look to the beyond. It's one of the great mysteries of life, is it not? It's what people wrestle with. I read a, an article this week and it's talking about this, uh, this generation that's coming up now, middle school, high school, and even in college, that the overwhelming percentage of them uh, do not believe in moral and absolute truth. They believe that, that truth is subjective, it is not objective, that they can just make it up as they go. And here's the problem with that. If truth is subjective and it is relative to what you think and what you think alone and you don't care what anybody else is think, then you have a problem with the future. And you can't answer the question if truth is relative. Because then you begin to make things up, and it's not in line with the objective truth. Well, look at verse 11. He's put eternity in their hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. What does that mean? It means God is mysterious. God does things that we don't always understand. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that several of the prophets... Even several of the kings would ask, ask God, where was he when bad things began to happen? The prophet, the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1 said this, God, why did you make men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? Habakkuk was asking the question, God, where are you? Church, we need to wrestle with those questions to help people wrestle through those questions as well. Because you've asked them, and we are not afraid of those questions, nor is God. God is not afraid of you to ask him, where are you? Where are you in the midst of my pain? He's not afraid of that question. Jeremiah, the great prophet, says to God in Jeremiah 15, he says, Why has my pain been perpetual, and why has my wound been incurable, refusing to be healed? Jeremiah says to God, you promised but I don't see it. Anybody been in a moment like that before in your life? God, I don't see it. Well, Solomon tells us it's in those moments that we have to trust him. We have to trust him. We trust him because he is in control. We trust him because he is wise. And we trust him because he is God the creator. And the creator does not have to always reveal his will directly, verbally to them, to the creation. Does that make sense? The creator does not have to do that. Question. Is God good? Absolutely. Is God working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Does God have our best interests at heart? Trust him. Solomon says, trust him. Trust God. In the 1920s, a young man named A.M. Overton became the pastor of First Baptist Church of Baldwin, Mississippi. In 1932, his wife became pregnant with their fourth child. 
When it came time for delivery, there were some complications, and both the baby and his wife died. God, where are you? Why? During the funeral, the preacher who was officiating the service noticed that Pastor Overton was scribbling something down on a piece of paper. And he wrote a poem, and the pastor said, uh, Pastor Overton, can I see that poem? And that poem went unknown for many, many years until it was eventually set to music, and eventually it went all around the world. And a lot of times during funerals, I will use parts of this poem. The poem is called, He Maketh No Mistake. Won't you listen? My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, because he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust, and I'll leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make, through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. God does not make a mistake. He uses your pain, he uses your success, he uses the pleasures, he uses all things in your life, and he makes it all beautiful in its time. And while he works, he simply says, trust. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. You may think our government's falling apart, and God says, trust me. You may think that our government is on the rise, and God still says, trust me. You may think our education system is failing, God says, trust me. You may think our education system is doing what it needs to be done, and God still says, you trust me. And Solomon says, in this time, trust. And so for us as children of God, for those of us who have already made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we have crossed that line of faith where we are believers in him, where we have surrendered our lives to him. Jesus says, God says, Solomon says, don't pick anything up, let me take care of it. Because I'm in control. I'm wise. I'm good. And I will make all things right in time. Believer, fear not, because God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a reminder that even in life that is filled with the ups and the downs, that even though when life is filled with the negative, the pain, the difficulty, you are still good. You are good. 
You are good because that's your character. You are good because that's your promise to us. You are good because that is who you are. And so, Father, this morning I pray that whatever situation that any of us are going through, may we lay it down because we're not in control of time. We're not in control of it. And may we give you the honor that is due you, that you are the creator, that you are in control. And that you are wise, and you know what's good for us. May we trust you. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning who has not trusted you with their life, I pray today that they would bow the knee, humble their heart, and surrender their lives to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the goodness of God. The redemption of man through the blood of Jesus. May we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.